On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Sue Kalinske was at Bud Friedman's memorial service, one of the founders of the improv, and she's got stories to tell. Plus, the director of Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Casey Lemons, is going to be with us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or get everything at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. Great guest today. The phenomenal Casey Lemons is going to join us. She directed Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, which is just, just great. And uh, Sue Baloo, this is the first time in a while that we've gotten together and haven't had any technical problems. The technical nightmares of, I don't know what happened. You know, for, for two years or three years we've been doing the show, we've had very few technical things, and all of a sudden, everything like fell apart in the last two weeks. Okay, well, there was a very, very important um, input from Juan yesterday that <laughs> may be the reason you <laughs> spilt water on your computer and you didn't tell me that. Yeah, that might have been it. A little water on the uh, keyboard will do you in every time. I felt bad because we had uh, Ram Sharan coming on the show, who's one of the stars of RRR, and we're going to get him back in March. But uh, we get uh, he's basically the Tom Cruise of India, starred in like the three highest grossing movies in the history of India. Get him on the line and can't record <laughs> anything. It was to me, that was just horrifying. I know it. You know, it could have been really humiliating. If he wasn't as cool as he was. He was so nice and said he would come back in March to promote the movie. And I think RRR is, say that again, <laughs> RRR uh, is going to be nominated for uh, Best Picture at the Academy Awards this year. I think so, too. Yeah. It should. It definitely should. It's such a fun, cool, wild movie. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It is friggin' fantastic. Just fantastic. So, Subalu, you had, uh, you you went to Bud Friedman's memorial yes and first of all if if somebody doesn't describe who bud friedman was in the world he is the granddaddy of comedy clubs he and his ex-wife silver uh opened up the new york improv in 1963 and it was kind of like a coffee shop type of hangout for the theater crowd because his because silver was a was a uh theater uh, singer and, and uh, dancer, well, singer, really. Kind of started as like a cabaret, right? Well, it wasn't even a cabaret. It was just this like coffee house where people from the theater who weren't making a lot of money, you know, after the theater closed, they could go to a place that wasn't um, in Broadway, but close to Broadway. Yes. Um, where they can just kind of hang out and uh, 
go on stage and they were singers and actors and they would do improv and it was just loose and fun. You know, comedians would come by, but it didn't become a, a, a full-time comedy club until later on. And, um, and it was the brainchild of the two of them. So Bud, uh, they opened up a club in LA and, uh, they got divorced and he got the club in LA and he got the rights to everything. And he mm. franchised, um, improvs all over the country. And it was the place to be. When I was doing comedy in the eighties, I was there every night, regardless really? of whether I went on stage, that bar, like front of house was like the coolest place. Everybody was there. Celebrities. Um, it was just, you know, you just hang out at the bar. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was like our comedy cheers, really. And, uh, and, you know, for a short period of time, Jackie Mason owned, um, because there was a restaurant kind of in the front of it, you know, across from the bar. And he, I guess he bought that part of it or he, I don't, I don't even know how it happened, but he had pizza. So it was like kind of like uh, a pizza place. Yeah. So Jackie Mason was there all the time. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, it was just really, really fun. So he, you know, he launched uh, a, a billion careers. Yeah. Yeah. So what was his memorial? I would imagine it was, was it uh, a celebration? It was a celebration of his life. And it was actually very, very funny. <laughs> because everybody that went up was, you know, it was comics. Yeah. And and some people from his family. I mean, his family is very funny. And then he he remarried. So um, so his, you know, his his wife, his, you know, the widow was there. But to me, um, you know, like Adam Sandler did some shtick with Judd Apatow. They were like a comedy team. They were very, oh, very cool. funny. Um, Jay Leno sent in a tape. Um, Billy Crystal sent in a tape. And Bette Midler sent, sent in a tape. Wow. So that was really cool. So you get an idea of the people that revered, the caliber of people that revered him. But for me, the star of the night was Kevin Nealon. And for any of you who have never seen Kevin Nealon do stand-up, run, don't walk. Really? He is by far one of the funniest stand-up comedians because he's very, very silly. Yep. And he has certain subtleties about him. So he gets on stage and he says, you know, you know, just talks about being there. And he looks out and he thanks Bud's widow for being here. He says, Alex, thanks for being here. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean, thanks for being here? <laughs> she's his widow. Of course she's there. <laughs> and then, you know, he was kind of waxing about you know, the history of the club and how important it was. And, and then, you know, there's a big, you know, brick, fake brick, brick wall in, in the back, you know, right. he, he kind of created the brick wall and, um, Bud did. And, uh, he said, uh, ah, uh, if these walls can talk and then he, he says, Bud would shush them. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, this is, and this is like, this is like vintage, uh, vintage, uh, Neilan. So he, you know, he talked a little bit about himself and he said, but you know, tonight is not about me. It's mostly about Bud. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> mostly about Bud. It's all about Bud, <laughs> but he was just silly and fun. And, um, and it was, you know, and there was this guy, uh, actually I interviewed this guy for the silver documentary that I'm working mm -hmm. on. His name is Jack Knight. Okay. 
And if you don't know him by name, he became a regular on Cheers later on in the series. Um, you have to look him up. Okay. Uh, right now, he's he's in his 90s. Oh, wow. And um, he was so funny. It was poignant. He actually built, helped build, build the club. He built the stage. He built the um, all the infrastructure of the club in New York. And then he came out to L.A. when the club opened here, and he did the same thing. So, you know, he's he's a part of the fabric of, of the club. That's great. Um, That's cool. It, it was just it was just great. And and for me, you know, it's such a family when, when it comes to comedians. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen Adam Sandler and Judd Apatow in quite some time. I Well, I, I hadn't seen Adam in longer than I hadn't seen Judd. And, um, you know, Adam just sees me and he's like, hey, Sue, how you doing? I mean, it's it's a relationship that was you know years and years in the making yeah and um and it'll always be that way that's cool you know that's it's really just cool. um really fun seeing people that i hadn't seen in a long time and uh it was really just a that's just a great night it was really fun so how old was bud he was 90 not uh, okay just random question do you want to be around when you're 90 if i'm in good shape yeah, I want to live till a day before miserable. I think that's 87 for me. 87 yeah. is the number. If I make 87, I, I break the tape, I hit the finish line, I'm good to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem living longer just as long as there's, you know, some good life. Now, do you have, did, have you decided what your memorial, are you going to have like a, a memorial of some kind after you go? Am I going to? Like, am I going to orchestrate it now? Like, uh, yeah, orchestrate it now. Did it get it in the works? Yeah. And start uh, writing names down and yeah, do absolutely. Be there and and how I want it to be decorated and where it's going to be and you, what, you to, not, what to put me in and you don't have any plans? No, no plans. Oh, see, I have plans. No, no. The only thing that I will make sure of, and, and I think we've talked about this before, is that I'm going to make sure that. The picture that is in the paper, if it gets in the paper, right, right, is is the right picture. Because <laughs> I've seen some really, really bad pictures. Yeah, of you want photo who, approval? I need photo, total photo approval uh, yeah. upon my death. See, I know for a fact that uh, I'm going to be uh, at. The, I'm going to be cremated. I'm going to be at the beach in Venice. Um, they're going to play Van Morrison into the Mystic, and then I'm going to get Kevin Nealon to speak. <laughs> yes, you know it's it's kind of a joke because. People were saying, like, did you see him at uh, at uh, Gary Shanlin's memorial? <laughs> you know, so people were joking with him after the show. And he said, uh, yeah, I'm the king of memorials. That's what I do. Uh, I'm the memorial guy. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, what, now, you, you're very well connected. Can you can we get Kevin on the show? I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I actually I, I wasn't going to say anything to him last night. It's like, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen in a while. Hey, you want to come on my podcast? I mean, it would have been like the biggest douche move you could ever, ever do. Yeah, that would have been douchey. Like like Adam, you know, who I know and, and Judd. Um, so I'm going to see if I could get Kevin to do it. I, I actually um, sent him a message on Instagram because, um, you know, because we, we've talked to each other on, you know, we've sent messages back and forth to one another and he didn't respond, but um, we'll see. I've never seen him do stand up. I'd be curious to see him do stand up. Oh my God. I, I saw him after not seeing him for a really long time. <laughs> he comes out on stage and he said, um, okay, you know, I'm going to uh, do, you know, some new jokes tonight. So, uh, feel free to try out some new laughs. 
And then like during the course of his show, somebody laughed like, con- you know, loud. And he said, was that a new laugh? <laughs> That's something you've been working on? I mean, he's just, he's just, he's so silly. I'm uh, going to see Leslie Jones uh, next Saturday night, who I think is so damn funny. Did you see her guest host The Daily Show? No, I have not seen it, but I heard it's great. Oh, well, I'm just, I didn't see the whole show. Yeah. But she does a bit that I saw on YouTube about the new Martin Luther King sculpture. That's the sculpture, yeah. (laughs) It's an odd sculpture. I mean, it It is so odd. And I, you have to watch what she says about it. It was hilarious. Well, I am, uh, I'm excited to see, I want to go see more comedy. Yeah. Okay. I want to. I want you to take me to see more comedy because I'm working my way up to, uh, to that. <laughs> oh my god! You know you haven't brought that up in a really long time. <laughs> you know it was. It's been lying dormant for I don't know, maybe six months. I love that bit. You can open for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do something for real here. Uh, our guest today is one of Hollywood's finest directors. Her films include Eve's Bayou, Black Nativity, and Harriet. Her latest film, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. It is in theaters now. Casey Lemons joins us. Casey, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So I just love the movie. Um, I It reminded me of how much I love Whitney Houston, that music. I went for a walk yesterday. I had a Whitney Houston playlist going. I mean, I thought you and the voice is just, you captured all that. So congratulations. Thank you so much. So this is a film that was originally developed by Whitney's estate and her family and and uh, Clive Davis. When did When did you come into the project? Oh, I actually came in late. Um, I came in about, it was almost August of 21. And so that was late. It was about, you know, we had, once I came on, we did seven more weeks of prep and then started shooting. So that was quite late in a process for such a big movie, you know, to come in that close to, um, to production. So uh, it was, so it was all cast when you came into the picture? No, Naomi was cast. Uh, no one else was going to so, so that was a scramble. So Naomi, let's talk about yeah. Naomi. Oh God. My God. She is incredible. Isn't she? Steve and I were actually talking. We started talking about it yesterday. And we were like, stop talking about it. Let's save it for the podcast. <laughs> um, but we were talking about how lip syncing is not an easy thing to do. Mm-mm. And she was flawless. I mean, everything about her, her, just her physicality, because I, I actually went back to watch a lot of, um, of music videos of Whitney after I saw the film and just like, like just things about like how her hand popped off the microphone, you know, I mean, just everything. She was Whitney Houston. I mean, just perfect. Every breath. Now, what did you know about her prior to this? How did she how did she come on everyone's radar? I didn't. I didn't know her. Um, but before I came on the project, before I would even have a serious conversation, I knew she had been cast. So I said, let me see your screen test. And I saw her screen test and I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, this, this could work. You know, um, she was 
amazing. And that was before she went through the physical transformation. That was before she had done the months and months and months of prep on it and, you know, movement coaching and all those kinds of things. And so just what she could bring naturally, you know, even without all that preparation was phenomenal and, and just so, um, studied and serious and yet free and and she sang a little and I was like okay this is it's so many interesting possibilities when you have an actress that sings in the same range you know as Whitney did and I'm like oh this uh this woman is extraordinary how could I not have known how could I not have known this woman you know and um and then in the course of working with her of course and she had done so much work by the time we were together um, you know, I mean, she just blew me away every day, every day. So what made her the right person to sort of connect to Whitney on that emotional level? Yeah, thought about it a lot. I mean, I think that there are, there's something innate in Naomi that is, that was very Whitney, which is like, she's, she's very, if you meet her, she's very, she's got a natural regality, you know, she's very poised and and beautiful and, um, and pulled up, but she's like around the way. <laughs> like she's, she's like, there's something very homey about her, um, you know, and which, which was also very Whitney, you know, cause Whitney was, you know, from Newark and, um, and yet she had this poise. And so that's something that Naomi has. And then Naomi's also, you know, been through a, a fair amount of of living and just gone through some experiences and um and is a, a deeply interesting person and um you know has has enormous strengths and also vulnerabilities like you know the best of all people and so um you know i think that she could tap into it easily and um and also shake it off perhaps not as easily but but you know that there was that strength and that certainty of knowing who she was and also being comfortable in her own skin you know and that allows her to go someplace else and get into somebody else's skin you know and just knowing who nay is you know knowing she just um very self-aware and um in the best kind of way you know and and um just knows herself so staying with casting, Stanley Tucci. Yeah. He was incredible. I mean, he was really Clive Davis. I mean, he was just everything, his mannerisms, the way he spoke. Um, how many, was he kind of like a first choice? Uh, yeah. He I was, was prepared to okay. stalk him and, you know, camp out in front of his house and <laughs> with signs <laughs> aimed up at the window. I, I, we, I think we were all very determined to have Stan and, and, um, and fortunately he said, yes, uh, I think he'd said no a couple of times. And, you know, um, fortunately, you know, when I came on and, and we were able to um, reach out to him again, you know, the stars lined up and, um, the dates worked out and for, for, you know, several reasons he was able to do it. And my favorite thing about Stan, I mean, so many things, but one of my favorite things is that he could improvise in as Clive mm. perfectly, mm. never play character and just like, you know, just be tremendously funny and human and Clive like, you know? Um, and, and, you know, one day I said, how do you, how do you do that? And he says, you know, well, he, he said, of course, it's obvious, Andrew, it's preparation. You know, he said, because, you know, you, no one wants to see you act on set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which became one of my new favorite quotes. Right. <laughs> you're, you're acting, your acting is showing. <laughs> you know, 
So working with Clive Davis himself, I mean, you know, not just Whitney, but Janis Joplin and Springsteen and Billy Joel and Barry Manilow and on and on. What you got to have a story or two, right? I mean, how closely did you work with Clive on the movie? Well, I mean, it, it, he, it doesn't take that long to feel like you get a lot of Clive. Clive is a storyteller. And Clive, um, I spent a day with Clive prior to shooting and then, you know, quality time with him afterwards, sometimes on Zoom, sometimes in person. But the day, the first day that I spent at his house, in some ways, was the most, um, you know, it kind of it rocked my world. And And the thing that rocks me about Clive more than anything, even though everything about him is kind of extraordinary, his memory is like nothing I've ever seen. His memory for details, conversations that he had decades ago, um, you know, where somebody was sitting and how they uh, touched his arm or what happened in a conversation. I mean, remarkable. His music knowledge and his ability to recount it. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I'll forget people's name. Like, I just don't know. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. The minute they say their name. <laughs> Perfect, like, um, spontaneous storytelling that is just so detailed and rich. And so he's, he's like, um, an encyclopedia and, and, and a, you know, a box of uh, boxes and boxes of archives. He's like, he's, he's just amazing. And so it was really quite wonderful to get to know him. And, um, uh, you know, he can be very emphatic, uh, but he's, He's great, and he was so knowledgeable. And then we got to sit in his theater and watch, you know, videos of Whitney, um, which was amazing. You know, at some point you're saying to yourself, I'm sitting next to Clive Davis, and we're watching Whitney Houston from his personal collection and his personal theater. And, you know, it was great. And 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 what what was it like for him, I mean, to go through this? It's kind of like going through his relationship with her all over again. Yeah, I can't imagine, honestly. I mean, um, one of the interesting things about the process for me that I kind of was expecting, but you can never quite prepare yourself for it is, you know, people have a, a lot of emotion, or, you know, and, and recent memories and um, around uh, this woman and, and, who who's so meaningful to so many of us and we feel like we know her right um you know i knew her a little bit we but i felt like i really knew her but these are people that were related to her and you know um and and worked with her very closely and there's lots of emotion and that must be hard and i can't even imagine you know being that and also being a character in the movie so you know uh, um it, it had to be tricky but he um i think he was i think he loved stanley so one of the things I loved, and I was a music radio program director when that first album came out. So I remember just hit after hit after hit. And I was really living in that world. And the great thing you do in the movie is you sort of recreate some of that, you know, the, the video for How Will I Know, uh, yeah. the, the way she's posed on that chair for I Will Always Love You. It just felt so honest and real. It took me back to a place and a time. How difficult was it to recreate that stuff? 
Oh, well, I mean, it was, it was enormous fun. You know, it's, it's um, in degrees of difficulty. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a little tweaky, but it's so much fun. You know, <laughs> it's just a blast. And of course, Naomi, you know, so a lot of it is Naomi's ability to recreate it, you know, having studied it and just being um, so on point. And we were, I mean, we had so much fun with it. And part of the fun was getting behind the cameras, you know, like getting, like having the crew, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just great. It's really trying to recreate a vibe and, um, you know, what things felt like, you know, for her um, um, being in it. It was great. It was so much fun. Now, I knew, obviously, uh, prior to seeing the movie that I was going to be very emotional just because I know her story and I know where she, I didn't know a lot of her stuff in the early beginnings, but certainly did know about the meat of her career and then the end. And it's one of those movies where I I just wish that I could rewrite it halfway through to get a better ending, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, as a filmmaker, even, you know, knowing what was in store how emotional were you doing this well it it was a very emotional experience um however i wanted to do justice to her life and and yet celebrate her without really um you know without shine too far away from the troubles i wanted to it was part of her and i thought that it's so relatable uh, honestly, you know, so much of, of most people in the country know somebody who's who's struggled with addiction and it's touched our lives in, in some way. And I thought that I wanted to be kind of honest about that part of it um, because I think I think it makes her all the greater, you know, I mean, it's when you recognize that somebody is human and, and has human frailties and um, struggles, you know, you can really appreciate the incredible greatness and, and dedication um, with which, you know, she pursued her art. And um, I also, it was very important to me, her family and just the people that she loved and, um, you know, the intricacies of her relationships, uh, just like she's, she's, this was a human being. This is a human being who struggled and tried and, and failed sometimes. And, and sometimes, you know, felt like she was overcoming it. And then, you know, it came back. And I think it's, it's um, unfortunately very, very, relatable yeah i want to go back with you a bit if that's okay mm-hmm. um you were one of the stars of uh, silence of the lamps yeah <laughs> and for me it is one of the 10 greatest films ever ever made so when you were on the set and you were making that movie did you have any sense with jonathan demi that maybe this was going to be a classic film it was so scary because now, of course, people do it all the time. But at the time, staring into the camera, this was like something you just, you, it just wasn't done. You know what I mean? And so he's having us look into the camera. And so we're like, this is either going to work or it's really <laughs> not going to work. And, you know, it's going to be awful. And, um, and just kind of not knowing, you know, how, how it was going to turn out. Um, no, I had no idea when I was shooting it. I did know I loved him. And I loved the actors. And from the first table reading, I've got to say, you're, you're like, okay, you know, this could be really, really good. And uh, yeah, I just had a real soft spot for Jonathan. I I mean, he was fantastic, just a fantastic human being um, and a fantastic director. Were you at the table read? Was Anthony Hopkins at the table read? He was, yeah. Well, what, was, what was that like? Because I, I mean, 
that's somebody I can't, I mean, I can't picture anybody else doing that. Yeah, no, he was incredible, but it's also just like, you know, at a table reading, people are trying not to, they're not giving it all the way. They're kind of reading and giving you a glimpse of it. And, you know, you get this glimpse of, of, of what he's going to do with Hannibal Lecter and you're like, okay, <laughs> that was scary. You know, he was, he was great. And as the reading went on, he got a little more into it and the voice became a little more Hannibal Lecter. And um, I remember just being, I was completely blown away with him, by him. So at what point in your career as an actress did you get this idea that you wanted to direct and write? Like, had, and, and with all the directors that you had worked with up until that point, were you kind of stockpiling information for, for this to maybe be your career after acting? You know, I didn't know that I was, hmm. um, but I was. And, and I had been writing since I was a kid. So I was always writing. I was writing stories and then... As I became kind of a young actor that um, turned into writing scenes to do an acting class for my friends to do an acting class and um, kind of messing around with plays and screenplays and dialogue. Um, but I didn't, you know, I went to film school thinking I might make documentaries, honestly, to have something to do when I was waiting for auditions or whatever. You know, and it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, I've got all this time on my hands. Maybe I'll go to war-torn countries and make documentaries that's really what I thought and then very quickly in film school that turned into you know I wasn't uh, my first attempt at a doc I wrote a voiceover to it you know I was, I was never quite strict enough with the form and I was always kind of a dramatist and so um that turned into kind of more formal screenwriting and um you know so it evolved and I didn't know that I was studying them, though I had been to film school by the time I made Silence of the Lambs and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, a lot of those other movies, I um, I was still trying to hit my marks and, you know, concentrate <laughs> on what I was doing. I wasn't, um, I didn't know I was studying them, and but but I, I was. So you have directed two really, really great uh, biopics, both uh, Harriet and now with Cynthia Erivo, who's just amazing, um, and now... Whitney Houston, what do great biopics have in common? I like you to feel like you've had lunch with the person, you know, like you've, you've really gotten to know them a little bit, like you could reach out and touch them. I mean, that's what you want. You want somebody to feel like they have access to this person. Hmm. I mean, I think that that's it simply. Yeah. I mean, when it came to this movie, uh, you know, I, like I said earlier, I didn't know a lot about her her early beginning. So when I didn't realize that she wasn't like girly girl, you know, like mm -hmm. early in her career, mm -hmm. because I came, you know, she, I came into the picture of her career when the first video music video that I ever saw her do. And she was girly and sexy. And I had a total girl crush on her. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, that, that was something I didn't know about her at all. Yeah, she was a tomboy. She was a tomboy and um, and I think very comfortable with herself as a tomboy. Um, I think I'm sure she also enjoyed the girly uh, dress up side of it, you know, but um, I think she was a tomboy. That was what was natural to her. Uh, because you're an actor, I'm guessing your approach with actors may be different than other directors. How do you connect with an actor, especially given your your background? I've, I've heard that my approach is different, you know, um, I, I understand what I'm putting them through. Um, I understand what I'm asking of them, what's being asked and what 
um, where they have to go to come up with it. I don't think it's a magic trick. I know the work that goes into it. And so I think I come with appreciation and, and respect and, and, um, and yet I'm doing what any director's doing. You're waiting for the magic. You're waiting to see, you're waiting to feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck, you know, um, to have a physical reaction, uh, and an emotional reaction to, to what you're seeing, what's in front of you. And you're looking for the alchemy, the magic sauce, you know, um, but but just being an actor, I think I, I do what worked for me when I was being directed, you know, which is a private conversation, you know, not not you know, it's a very intimate relationship. Um, that's what worked for me, and that's what I try and have with my actors. So I would think, you know, your style is your style. So does it do, does it change? Does your approach change from film to film? Because I I've talked to some directors, and they're like, you know, we decided not to do a lot of rehearsal for this particular film because of the subject matter. We had interviewed Florian Zeller about the sun and he was saying that he didn't want to do a lot of rehearsal. He, and, and even like Laura Dern, she, she hadn't met Vanessa Kirby until that first scene. Wow. So do you do things differently? No, I mean, I, yes, in terms of the shooting approach is often very different. Um, you know, I've worked with, um, uh, different DPs, you know, many different DPs and, and, um, the style when I'm looking for a DP, I'm looking for the style of the movie that the language that that movie is speaking to me in. In terms of directing actors, it, 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 it's pretty similar, you know? So it's more about the, the camera changes. My, my work with the actors is, is similar. Some things, it's not so much that, um, that I decide a movie can't be rehearsed as much as some parts of the movie can't be rehearsed, you know, but I'll tell you one thing uh, just because it's, it's, it's one of my very favorite scenes, the scene between, um, you know, Clive and Whitney, when he, when he says, you know, it's time for you to go to rehab. That was the first day they were on set together. Wow. That was our, the first scene we shot with him. And what great actors can do is create this lived in relationship that is two decades in now, yeah. you know, and just make you feel like they've been there, you know, in, in those, in that relationship. And that was just amazing. So, you know, and we did, we didn't rehearse that. Yeah. What a tribute to those actors that mm -hmm. they were able to, to deliver that. You know, when you wrote and directed Eve's Bayou, which I absolutely, love uh and that was 1997 there were not a lot of women getting that opportunity and it seems like it's getting better women directing where where are we now how far are we f away from like real equity well i think we are close but then again it's been a good year and i'm very optimistic so it's been a good year this is an amazing year um and it's been a good few years um and I think that that's just something that wasn't happening. There were a few of us around, you know, um, and, and so we, we, some of us have come up, you know, kind of come up in movies together. Um, like Gina Prince Bythewood and I, you know, we, we, we were at a, our first, one of our first short film festivals together with our short films. Wow. You know? wow. Um, but now when you look at this year, particularly, just take it as an example of, of you know, so many films directed by women um, and with diverse voices and subject matters and, and approaches. And, you know, that's really encouraging. But also I teach at a film school. I teach at NYU grad film. 
And, you know, my students give me so much reason for optimism because they are um, very diverse um, and they're, they're doing their thing. You know, I've been teaching for a while and I see these, these young emerging filmmakers come out and do their first features. And I know they're going to make more and it's very, very encouraging. And I, I do think we're in a different place. What I tell them is that, you know, the world is looking for them. Like, and that, I don't know that that was that I thought like that when I was starting out, you know, I didn't um, have the sense that, that they're looking for me. I would kind of give myself that pep talk, but it was, it was a pipe dream, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I want to dance with somebody, such a great, great movie reminded me of just how great Whitney was and, and what we all lost. Um, it is in theaters now. Could not recommend a film more highly. Casey, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Casey Lemons there and really a great, I, I want to tell this story, Sue. So, uh, Juan and I were in El Salvador for New Year's Eve uh, three, four years ago. And there was a big bonfire. We were on the beach. There was a big bonfire. And we were all having some drinks and some other stuff. And, uh, and nobody was, they were playing music out by the bonfire, but nobody was out there, right? So it's just nice. There was ambient music, et cetera. They put on Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. And everybody just went right to that beach, right around that bonfire and started dancing. It's such a classic song. And everybody connected with that so amazingly. Yeah. I mean, it's contagious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, so many of her uh, of her songs were just fun, yeah. you know, it, it, and um, but, you know, and we had talked about this, too. One of the songs when when she came back. After she went into rehab, when was it yes. two thousand nine? Yep. And she sang that song. I didn't know my own strength oh, on Oprah. God. Yeah, I mean that. I I, I watched the real, you know, the, yes. the the you know the original, and she was so beautiful. Yep. and so she looked so great. She yep. looked so healthy. It was like she's back. Yep. And then three years later, she was gone. Yeah, I mean, it was just. Just yeah. mind blowing. Just huge mind blowing. Huge yeah. Yeah. I, huge I was like, do you know the uh, song? It's not right, but it's okay. I don't I'm know that. Make it anyway. You know that song? I don't. Oh, that's a great, it's classic. There's just a moment of it in the film, but there's a line in it that always makes me laugh. Um, she's talking about, I don't know if it's Bobby or whoever, I guess, you know, theoretically anybody she's dating. Um, and uh, she has this line. Then why did 213 show up on your caller ID? <laughs> oh, that's great. What a great line. Oh, that's perfect. And, you know, and I, I blamed all of her drug stuff on Bobby Brown. I know. It, because I didn't know. I mean, she was a pothead. I don't know what else she did, you know, prior to that um, or even after that. I don't know if she dabbled in other drugs. But you kind of started to see uh, kind of her bad girl self. You know, yes. yes. You know, she was rebellious. You know, and yeah. then you look at her upbringing. She grew up with a lot of religion, and although she was very spiritually connected to God and all of that, um, she had a rebellious side to her, and uh, she liked to dance with the bad guys. Yeah, she did. She did. 
Uh, well, listen, great show. Thank you so much uh, for listening. We appreciate all you guys who are out there. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or get it all at stevemason.com. You can sign up there. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Sue, great seeing you, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.